Take your Bible, if you haven't already, and turn to Matthew chapter 22 as we continue in our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we've got uh, six more chapters to go, and uh, we'll finish this book. It will have taken us about a year to work through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, so I uh, hope that today the Lord ministers to you as He has to me. Um, this has been a difficult week. Uh, facing sickness myself and being down for several days. I, I don't know about you, I don't like being down. I, I, it just irritates me to no end to, to know that I can't do anything. And uh, on top of everything else, I had this constant headache. So I couldn't even read a book. I couldn't even study or, you know, just couldn't focus. But then towards the end of the week, the Lord was so gracious and, and uh, I began to, to feel uh, a, a change in my body. And I'm so thankful that I can be here today and, uh, and, and minister uh, with you. Uh, as we get to Matthew, I want to just kind of set up where we're at in Matthew's gospel for those who might be new. And as a reminder to the rest of us that Jesus has now entered into the final week of his earthly ministry, the final week of his life. This is Passover week. On, in chapter 21, he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He made it public that he is the king, he is the son of God, and because of that, the Jews, namely the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jerusalem council, the scribes, they were all coming at him from different angles, and we'll see them continue to do that up until the point that they finally arrest him and take him away on charges that he never committed any crimes, but they, they, they trumped up the charges against him. And so what we see is Jesus finalizing his ministry. He's speaking to things that matter the most. You ever been around someone who's close to death? The things that they say are the most important things. They're not interested in trivial things. They're about to pass. And so what's going to come out of their mouth is extremely important and meaningful. And this is where Christ is. He's, he's, he's closing things down. But yet he's still conducting an, a, a public ministry. And so uh, we pick up here in this text, and it's very interesting. He starts this chapter with a parable. And all that I want you to remember from last week is that Jesus said that if we're not bearing fruit, then what good are we in the kingdom? You're not in the kingdom to just sit. You're in the kingdom to serve to serve the Lord, to do his work. That's why, you're a, that's why you're a child of the king. You reflect him. And, and the work is great. The work is important. And so Jesus is going to address this matter. And he starts out in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who had a wedding feast for his son and sent his sent." his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. This is an interesting story. It's a similar story that Jesus told in a parable in Luke chapter 14. Here, the banquet was a wedding feast for the king's own son, which makes the apathetic rejection of those invited much more of a personal slight against the king. If you don't receive the king's 
son, you don't receive the king. Remember, Jesus is addressing now the Pharisees and the scribes and those Jews in Jerusalem. And he's really bringing home the point that, look, I came to save you, but you rejected me. And so the Father has opened the door. He's going to open the door for others, the Gentiles. That's going to come as we get into the book of Acts at some point. But right now he's saying, look, I'm telling you these stories about you, about your relationship with God that is broken. And so if you don't receive the king's son, you don't receive the king. And as we will read in this parable, they actually mistreat the son. They actually kill the king's son, which is exactly what Jesus is referring to in his own death later that week. When he's telling this parable, he is about to live it out. This is not some story that he came up with in his head that's a fable that has no meaning or purpose. This is his life, and he's laying it before the Jews. He's trying to get them to see the, the direct result of the insult of the king's goodness that they killed the king's messengers. They killed the king's son. Verse 4, again, he sent other servants. This king sent other servants. Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So the king has invited these special people to come. And rather than respond with anger and wrath, God in this story, who is the king, is showing patience and forbearance. He's showing kindness. They rejected him, and yet he still sends out and says, go tell them to come. I've I've got everything for them here, for the wedding. And even after his kindness and goodness have been extended, they ignore him. They reject him. This is a picture of the Jews And how they respond to God the Father who sent Jesus Christ the Son as the Messiah for them. This is the picture. Verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. And while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. This, too, is a prophecy about what's going to happen. It was just a little over 30 years later, after the death of Jesus, that Jerusalem burned to the ground as the Romans came in and completely annihilated, leveled Jerusalem, the holy city. You think about the temple, the temple made with these huge blocks of rock they carved out of the earth and brought them up and they would set them the architect would, would set them in place. Each one was so, so beautifully designed that when they would set them in place on the temple, they didn't even need mortar between the stones, these huge stones. They, they, they said you couldn't even fit a knife between. That's how beautifully shaven and, and how, how uh, customized each stone was for each part of the temple. The whole thing was leveled in this fire that the Romans brought to Jerusalem. And then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem. The feast is about to begin. But those invited were not worthy 
Go there, therefore, so the king tells his servants, go to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Don't leave anybody out. If those that I came for reject me, go to everybody else. Go into the public circle and the square. Go to the back alleys, the byways, the highways. Invite everybody to come. As many as you find. By the way, not as many as you think you want to talk to. Not as many as it would be easy to speak with. If you find a person, invite them. The king is saying to you, be be indiscriminate in your search for people to invite to my wedding feast. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found. See, not, not some, all. Both bad and good, indiscriminate. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So as Christians, the takeaway here is, as we live for Jesus Christ as Christians, in Christ, okay, Christ now lives in us. We're born again. We're born of the Spirit. Now we live a life for Jesus Christ because he is our life, okay? And in that life, we are to be very discriminate. If you're a Christian here this morning, God wants you to live a discriminate life. Let me explain what I mean by that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to him... A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is that cornerstone. You believe in him, you'll not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. Listen, those of you who believe in Jesus. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and they will stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, believer, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to live differently than the world that we're in. You might be in the world, you are not to be of the world. This is what God has ordained for those who have found Christ. You come out of darkness. You come into the light. Notice in this story, if you already listened as Patty read for us, at the end he takes the one guy who didn't wear the garments, the wedding garments, and he throws him into outer darkness. In the Greek that literally means the farthest place from light. You, though, have come into the light. You are in a world of darkness. People have darkened hearts. You had a darkened heart, but your your heart was changed by God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means that God has done a work spiritually. And so now you live 
discriminating, paying attention, being careful not to fall into the ways of this world. Young people that are here, some of you home from college, those teen, uh, teen challenge boys that are with us, young adults, singles, young marrieds, older married, older adults, it doesn't matter what age, this is a multi-generational church. This word works for everybody. Don't ever believe anybody who tries to tell you there's certain things that are just for certain people. No, the Bible's for everybody. There's something all of us as a corporate body can learn. And I'm telling you this morning, it is important that we live discriminate lives, that we reflect the glory of God to people. You're, you're, you don't possess the glory. The glory is Jesus, amen? But he's in you. And when you live your life for him, they see him. They don't see you. They see him. And we're to live this discriminate life. This is so important. We shouldn't, we shouldn't take this for granted. We, we shouldn't take it you know, cheaply that, that somehow it's just, uh, you know, on Sunday I repent. I get right on Sunday. Um, no, live the life that God's called you to live. Amen? Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found both good and bad. So share Christ with every Look, Live a discriminate life, an indiscriminate or a discriminate life, but share the gospel in an indiscriminate way. God never called Christians because they are to be careful in how they live their life to stop talking to people who are lost. You want to discriminate how you live your life, but you want to share Jesus with everybody. He didn't call you to hide yourself away in some ivory tower. You're no different than anybody in the world. You were a sinner that's been saved by grace, and they're still in sin. They still have to be saved by grace. That's the only difference between you and them. You've been saved by grace. They haven't yet. Get out there and tell them about the gospel. But when the king, verse 11, came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. There's no response to that. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God had just told the servants to be indiscriminate, with the invitation to the wedding feast. Why then is there such a harsh reaction and judgment against a man who attended but wasn't dressed in proper attire? As you read this on face value, it just looks wrong. But that's the problem. You need the Holy Spirit to give you insight into this text. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes right now to see what's behind the surface on this text, what's really there, the truth that God wants to reveal to you right now. See, the question is, it sounds like this guy's a party crasher, and the, 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 the master's calling him out. The king's saying, no, who are you? What are you doing here? Wait a minute. In that sense, they're all party crashers. They were invited. None of them came ready. 
Well, maybe it's because the guy didn't have time to go buy clothes, or maybe he's so poor he was living on the street, he couldn't afford the attire for the wedding. Nobody else could either. They got a lot of people off the streets. So what's going on here? This isn't the case for everyone else. This is a case for this man. He's the only one that, that the king points out. So what's the deal? The fact is none of the guests brought proper wedding attire with them. It was provided for them by the king himself. He just said, go out indiscriminately, find anybody and everybody, bring them to the wedding. I want them in my wedding. And as they came, how did you come to the wedding? They heard the gospel, and they responded. And they came, the king clothed them himself. Clothed them in what? In his righteousness. They were wearing the garments of righteousness. The difference with this man is he came thinking that he had his own righteousness. My righteousness is good enough. I don't need the king's. What a great insult to the king. He's in worse shape than the people who decided not to come at all because he brought his insult, he brought his uh, rejection of the king in the presence of the king. At least they rejected way out in the street somewhere, you know. I don't want the gospel. I don't want to go to the wedding feast. This guy's he came thinking, I can get in. I can eat the food. I, he really was a party crasher. And this really does speak to us today in the church. Look, you can come to church. You can, you can look nice. You can use good Christian words. You can sing Christian songs. You can even get up and come forward, even though we said, if you're not a believer, you shouldn't participate in the Lord's Supper. That's not because we want to keep people from coming. I wish that everybody in the room could come forward. But, there's a, but you have to know Jesus personally. Or this is meaningless. This doesn't hold any value. But you might be able to come forward and go through the process and think, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just like everybody else. No, you're not. And Jesus, when he returns, is going to throw you into outer darkness. The farthest distance from light. Because you never felt that you were spiritually bankrupt. You thought that you had righteousness of your own that would stand in the court of God. And the king is saying, who are you? Without being dressed in the righteousness of Jesus, and you say, How do, what does that mean? It means you give your life to Jesus. It means you receive the gospel. Brenton, when he prepared us for communion, he shared the gospel with us. You receive the gospel, and when you receive the gospel by faith, through grace, all of a sudden now, you belong. The righteousness of Jesus covers your wicked, evil, sinful heart. Aren't some of you glad that God's righteousness has covered your wickedness? Man, so thankful to the Lord that I can even participate in the Lord's Supper today. Because of what Jesus has done in my life, not what I've done. This man was unwilling to see that. What would lead a person to reject the righteousness that is attained through Christ? Well, it's a person who is ashamed to admit 
their own spiritual poverty. Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to become the opposite of self-sufficient. To be poor in spirit is to come to a point of deep humility as you recognize your state of being spiritually bankrupt apart from God. It describes those who are acutely, consciously aware of their own state of lostness and hopelessness apart from God's divine gift of grace. They would never see themselves being worthy to go to the wedding feast if they're not dressed and clothed in the righteousness that God so graciously, kindly has provided for them in the righteousness of Christ. This man was unwilling to give up his self-righteousness and take on or wear the garment of righteousness that only Jesus Christ can provide. His pride was too much for him. He thought, I'm good enough, I don't need that. I, I was talking to a guy, and, and that's exactly what he said to me when I said, so when you die, do you believe there's going to be any kind of a heaven or anything? Uh, yeah, I believe something's going on. And I said, okay, that's good. Um, so um, do you believe in God? No, I don't believe in God. I don't know really what's going to happen after I die, but I don't believe in God. I said, well, what if, in fact, after you die, you discover that there is a God? What if you're wrong? And he said, well, um, I still believe I'd get to go to heaven or whatever it is because I've, I'm a really good person. And I've done a lot of good things, and I'm kind, and I'm careful, and I, I try to de defend the helpless and the hopeless. I try to rescue those who are hurt. So he goes through his litany of his humanitarian efforts. And so I think I'm in good stand. This is the guy that the king is going to say, who are you? Why are you here? You don't belong here. I wanted you to come. I invited you to come. But you wouldn't put on the righteous garments of my son because your pride and your religiosity has kept you from seeing the spiritual state of bankruptcy. For many are called, Jesus says. He follows up the parable with this. For many are called, but few are chosen. That's a, that's a general call for all humanity to repentance and faith in Christ. This call extends to everybody who hears the gospel. Hence, why we should be sharing the gospel indiscriminately. You, you don't walk in the airport and go, okay, which one? Let's see, who can I? And pick the one that's easiest. Or pick somebody who's the same color as you. Or things that you notice about them that you have affinity with. Indiscriminate means you just, whoever God puts next to you, you, you share. Who, whatever shoulders you rub against, take the opportunity if the Lord opens the door. Amen? Be indiscriminate. That's, and, and, and the general call. The calling is for everybody, but only few are chosen. Let me explain that. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. There's the offer. There's the invitation. God wants you to come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Let them come. 
In John 7, 37, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, if you believe in me, if you believe in my message, if you believe in my Father's terms of peace for your life, then you'll come to me on those terms, not on your own terms. And out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. In Romans 10, 18, or 10, 8, verse uh, verse 8 through 13, Paul said, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise of God. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone, everyone, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Jesus is in a parable telling the Jews, God came to you first, and you have rejected me. And so the Father has invited everyone to come. That's where you and I get in on it. Isn't that good news? (laughs) We're the leftovers, folks. We're the the, uh, mutts of life. We, we don't come up into heritage of the Jews. That's, we're not in that bloodline physically. But you are spiritually because God opened and grafted you in. Isn't that wonderful? Those who hear the gospel and reject it, they do so willingly. And therefore, their exclusion from the kingdom is perfectly just. Don't think for a second that God's being unfair with this man. This man had the opportunity to receive and he chose not to. Maybe you are here today and you still are holding on to the idea that somehow this is a religion and I practice the religion. Therefore, I know I'll go to heaven. I'm going to tell you something. Satan will use religion to make kindling wood in hell. You will be kindling wood in hell if you're practicing religion. It is not about religion. It is about a real, meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about a spiritual awakening that occurs in your life. It's not about some practice, some perfunctory duty of going to church every Sunday. It's about a loving relationship that you've come into and you're living out. Those who hear the gospel and reject it, they do so willingly. Just know that. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And God has put out the call. He's drawing men to him, yet men reject him. Therefore, God is absolutely just in sending those who have rejected him into outer darkness. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. The Pharisees and Sadducees set out to trap Jesus in a series of political and ethical and theological and personal questions. And by doing so, they are actually fulfilling a prophecy and don't even know it. In Exodus chapter 2, or chapter 12 rather, uh, it says that before a Passover lamb is sacrificed, 
that you are to take that lamb and inspect it and observe it for five days to see if, it's, uh, if it has any blemish or disease in it. That's exactly, that was, everything that Jesus is doing, folks, when it looks like the, they're trying to kill him, they're trying to question him, they're trying to ruin his life. Listen, all of that plays right into God's plan for Jesus. All they're doing is they're, they're fulfilling scripture. They, they, they're looking for Jesus to find a blemish, to find a sickness, a weakness, or whatever. And of course, we know that within him there was no no sickness, no disease. Within him, there's no weakness, there's no sin. He was in all points tempted like we are, but sinned not. So our Lord, before he goes to the cross, he's being, he's being looked over as the Passover lamb under intense scrutiny of the Pharisees. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. The Herodians and Pharisees hated each other. But because it's Jesus, we'll come together. <laughs> Teacher, we know that you, are a true, that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They think they've trapped him. Uh, uh, if, if, if he says, yeah, pay your taxes to Caesar. Well, wait a minute. The Jews... They hate Caesar because Caesar said, I am God. Caesar said, I'm God. And they're like, uh-uh, we're not going to give him any due because he's not God. So if Jesus had said that, he's playing right into uh, what the Romans want. But then if he also says, don't pay your taxes, he'd be arrested for tax evasion and for political rebellion. So they thought they had him. And Jesus, aware of their malice, verse 18, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. They brought him, him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Because the coins are stamped with the image of Caesar, Jesus said, Because Caesar's image is on it, pay to Caesar his part. But because you were made... In the image of God, give God his part. And when they heard it, they marveled. They couldn't trap him. And they left him and went away. And the same day, Sadducees came to him who said, there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question. That's really the, the biggest thing about the Sadducees, different from the Pharisees. The Pharisees did believe that there was resurrection. Sadducees did not. That's why they were sad, you see. So... Eh, that's lame. <laughs> uh, they said, teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up, up offspring for his brother. Now there are seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. And so the second and third and down to the seventh, they all died. And then the woman died. And in the resurrection... Uh, Poor woman having to be married to all seven brothers as they died off. Number one, she's pretty tough on guys. I mean, worked her way through seven men. Uh, and, and now she's gone. And so they're saying, so in heaven, you know, who, who's she supposed to be with? And they thought they trapped him. Uh, in the resurrection, verse 28, therefore, of the seven, whose wife shall she be? For they all 
had her. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. <laughs> Let me just call you out. <laughs> uh, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So Jesus said in heaven relationships are different than they are here on earth. It's not the same relationship with people in heaven that we have here on earth. But then he presses them with their unbelief in the resurrection. He didn't, that's not enough. He gave them their simple answer, and now he, he presses them in. I mean, he just buries them here. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus is saying, it doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am. I'm still alive. That means that there is something beyond this life. It doesn't end with this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are with him right now. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And the scribe believed that uh, you need to know this. The scribes, they all taught. There were, there were seven, 613 Jewish laws that they created in there. Can you imagine? You're going to keep 613 laws. Uh, uh, 248 were positive uh, injunctions, and 365 were negative prohibitions. They thought they would surely trap Jesus in a controversy for him to take all 613 and try to pick one out of them. All right, let's, let's see what he says to this. And so he said to them, I'll give you the, the greatest commandment. You want it? Here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. So what did Jesus do? He went straight to the Shema, which every one of those Jews who asked the question practiced from the time they were little boys. They would have to quote Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Let me give it to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Every Orthodox Jew would have agreed with Jesus on that, that that's the greatest commandment. That's why they would take their um, what were they, mezuzah, which is a little elongated box that they would put on the doorpost, and inside they would put the Shema, this, this passage of Scripture, on the doorpost. Then they would take the phylactery that they wore around their wrist or on their forehead, literally a band around their head with a little box on it, a little leather box, a little leather box, and inside the Shema. They would walk around. That's The Jews understood that this is the greatest command. So Jesus called it out accurately. And, and, and that's, I think, important. And then he doesn't stop there. Again, Jesus, you're opening the door. He's going to go ahead and, 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 and just blow you up with your own question. So that's what he does. Uh, he goes further, verse 39. And a, let me go ahead. You wanted the, the greatest commandment. I gave it to you. But let me tell you the second greatest out of 613. And he says the second greatest is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these, not one, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the other laws hang on these two. Jesus tied the second commandment to the first because the ability to love God and love people are inextricable 
inextricably woven together in Scripture. God never meant for us, listen, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and then be at odds with people. To love God is to love the people that God created to the best of your ability. You ever eaten a TV dinner? I know it's nothing to raise your hand and get excited about and kind of embarrassed to think about it. You notice how all the items in that little TV dinner are compartmentalized? You got the Salisbury steak, you got the peas, you got the mashed potatoes, and you got the cherry cobbler. And not one of them's touching the other. They're all separated. And, and that's exactly what we do spiritually. That's how we live our spiritual lives. We compartmentalize. On Sunday, we worship the Lord in His holiness. And then on Monday, behind the boss's back, we're just cussing him out. We're bad-mouthing the boss. By, by, by Saturday, we're complaining about the neighbor who cranks up his lawnmower way too early in the morning. And we're saying nasty things about him. And then we go back to church on Sunday, and we worship the Lord in holiness. You're, you're living a TV dinner spiritual life is what you're doing. You've compartmentalized i got to tell you, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God never intended for you to live your life like that. Your life in God is not supposed to be a TV dinner. If we really love God, then we will do our best to love people. And when we get it right, we look more like a Swanson's chicken pot pie. All those ingredients are right in there together. Amen? They're all mixed up. That's what I love about leftovers. When I put leftovers on my plate, I'll mix some of them up sometimes. You know, no big deal. Now, today I expect you'll go to the public, some of you, and you'll try to go to the frozen food. And you might even see somebody else from the church there <laughs> wanting to get a chicken pot pie or something. I don't know. But the takeaway is this. Whether you're loving God or loving your neighbor, the operative word for the greatest commandment is that we love. How we love God is how we love people. If I truly love him, I can't help but want to love people. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying that you're going to love everybody. There's going to be times where you don't want to love them. But the fact is, you love them. You don't like them. You don't like what they stand for, but you got to love them. Because that's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do it. And if you do that, then you will share the gospel indiscriminately. The reason you're not sharing the gospel indiscriminately is because you're nothing but a TV dinner. And some of you are okay with that. Who would be, who would be okay with that? Verse 41, now the, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked the question, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And this is good. He said to them, how is it that, then that David in the spirit calls his son Lord? Capital L. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. He's quoting David. And if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day 
did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. If Jesus is an offspring of David, why would David call one of his offspring Lord? David had to be referring to someone greater than himself. So by chapter's end, Jesus has stumped the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and the Jerusalem council. They always walked away looking like fools for engaging him. When you come to him to learn, you walk away with greater understanding. If you came this morning spiritually bankrupt, ready to receive, you learned today. The Spirit was more than happy to teach you, to humble you, to break you. If you came today and you're received by the Spirit, guaranteed tomorrow your marriage is going to be better. Your business practices will be better. The way you see people will be different if the Spirit led you today. But if you came thinking you have it all together and you're just sitting through another sermon, you're just a TV dinner. That's how you see it. And the reality is, Jesus will humble you. If you think you know so much, the Bible says that he confounds the wise. The Jew seeks a sign, the Greek seeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are being saved, Christ is the power of God. Did you come humble? Did you let the Spirit teach you today? Let it change you this week. Father, thank you that this is not a game we're playing, that you make it clear to us by the teachings of Jesus. You, you, you make it very clear that you're not looking to, to bring us into some kind of a rudimentary uh, uh, religious practice here but we are called out of darkness into a relationship with you through your son Jesus that we wear, literally, spiritually speaking, we wear the garments of righteousness that Jesus put on us. Therefore, we are able to come into your presence boldly in time of help and need and receive from you, Father. And those of us who come with humble hearts are receiving. And those who've been playing the game, Lord, they're coming in thinking that they have enough righteousness on their own, Lord, in the end, they're going to be exposed. They're going to be confounded. Jesus will make them look like fools as he says to them in the end, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice, practicer of lawlessness. So, Lord, today we humble up. Lord, if there was someone today who heard the gospel that Brenton shared I pray that they would receive it in their, in their heart and they would speak it from their mouth. Yes, today I received the Lord. I, I have repented of my sins and I believe in him by faith and I have now come into relationship with Jesus. This is no longer a religious practice for me. This is a real relationship with God himself through Christ his son. We thank you for that, Lord. We give you praise and we give you honor. And Lord, may now we continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Stand, if you will. And I, and I would like to invite the, the elders and the prayer partners to come. If you need prayer for any matter in your life, let me say to you this. 
that our elders meet this, this Wednesday night for a shepherd meeting that we do every month where we pray over the needs of the body. So if you would please, before you leave today, uh, if you would just write down one of those needs uh, in the back, if there's a, if, I don't know if, if we have any a piece of paper, a pad or something, you can write that down. The elders will be glad to pray for that need or come forward, let them pray with you and then they'll bring that request to us. They'll make sure we get it so that we can be praying for you this week. God bless each of you. May the Lord bless you this week as you go.